Hey everybody, this is your host, John DeVar, with a quick pre-episode note in the present day. Well, present day for now when I'm recording this update, which is summer of 2022. This third episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast was originally recorded back in March of 2017, which was at least over five years ago, no matter when you're listening to this. Now, a lot of things stay the same in Egypt, whether over five years or 5,000 years. And most of my commentary on each of the hotels covered in this episode still very much applies to those particular properties. However, a lot of new hotels have popped up all over Egypt over the past five years that didn't even exist as an option back when this episode was recorded. For example, the Cairo Sheraton was still being renovated back then and wasn't bookable. The Cairo St. Regis hadn't been built at all yet. The new Jorf Palace in Luxor was still under construction, and the entire town of Soma Bay on the Red Sea didn't even exist yet. And I mention all of these places because they all now very much do exist and are very much worth including on any list of Egypt's top hotels. And then there are examples in here like the Le Meridian Pyramids, which did exist back then but doesn't anymore because it's getting demolished to make way for a new metro station in Giza. And the episode also mentions how the Novotel and Zamalek Island in Cairo had a great bar at the time, but that hotel is completely dry now, unfortunately. It's still not a bad budget hotel option, though. So have a listen to this early episode on hotels in Egypt if you like, because there are some great reviews of properties that do exist all over Egypt, and the commentary on them is still very relevant today. But what you'll want to do after that is look for the most recent Best Hotels of Egypt annual list that we started doing later in the podcast, and go by that when you're considering which hotels to book throughout Egypt today. So with that said, here's the original episode. Hey there, fellow and future travelers to Egypt, or I should say soon to be experts by the time you finish with this podcast series, at least. If you're joining us for the first time with this episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast as your first, then welcome. Feel free to make this one your f- the first one you listen to, or you can back up to the beginning. This is episode three of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast, so there are two prior episodes that we published before this one. Each episode is designed to stand on its own, so it's not like there's anything you won't understand or any plot line you'll be behind on or anything like that if you start with this one. But I'd still always suggest that these are best listened to in order because what I am trying to do with the topics covered in each episode is walk everyone through a trip to Egypt chronologically, at least at first. That's why the first episode covered topics like who the hell I am, what is Egypt travel blog all about. You can probably figure that out on your own eventually. We talked in detail about why people are so attracted to traveling to Egypt, what Egypt is really like for first-time foreign visitors, and expats like me who have lived there multiple times and traveled there literally more times than I can count. We talked about when you should go, how long you should stay, some must-sees in terms of sites and cities and regions, itinerary suggestions and options, and all that jazz. And let's see, all that was just in the first episode alone. Then, in the second one, we got into the different ways to get to Egypt, what I think are some of the best routes and ways to get there. And I walked you through the arrivals process, told you all about the airport and what to watch out for and how best to get to your hotel and what to watch out for there, even if you have a tour or driver already prearranged, just so you'll know and can stay alert and informed and in the loop. And then 
I promise that in this third episode, we talk all about the specifics, the nitty-gritty, the down and dirty of the major hotels in Egypt. Which ones are awesome? Which ones suck and you wouldn't know it until you got there? You know, there are zillions of hotels in Cairo alone, but luckily I've stayed in most of the major ones before and I've put clients in them. And the rest of the major ones I've been in, even if I haven't stayed there, dined there, visited others there, toured them, etc., I've even lived in two different hotels in Cairo for periods of time myself, plus been to many, many others in many other parts of Egypt. So I've got you covered on what all the hotels are like there, and we're going to delve into that here in this episode today, and a whole lot more. But before I do that, let me remind you just who the hell I am. Where do I get all this expertise on Egypt from, and just why should you listen to me? Well, I am your faithful, loyal host of the Egypt Travel Blog podcast. I'm also the founder and editor of Egypt Travel Blog at egypttravelblog.com. For quite a few years, I've run a luxury travel and adventure company that focuses exclusively on the Middle East and specifically on Egypt. I've studied, worked, and lived in Egypt multiple times, traveled there, gosh, bazillions of times, and taken hundreds and hundreds of my travel company's clients there on group trips, private trips, all kinds of trips. I'm a professional tour leader for Egypt, and I'm just an all-around nice guy who loves Egypt and loves to share all my knowledge and experience with, well, you, especially if you want to go to Egypt too and experience it right. So let's dive in to this episode, and the first topic, which, as promised, is the hotel scene in Egypt, and specifically the mid-tier and upper-tier hotel scene. And I tell you what, we'll go all around Egypt, and I'll talk about hotels in all different parts of the country, but let's start in Cairo, and let's start at the top. Okay, as with anywhere, you can stratify a city's hotel scene into different levels, and that's what I'm going to do here so that I'm not forced to rank order the hotels based on my opinion, because there's a couple in the top category, for example, and you may prefer certain styles or amenities over others, and you may disagree with my sort of absolute rankings, but it's less likely if you were to visit all the hotels in Cairo like I have that you disagree with the categorizations of them. Okay, so let's start there. In Cairo, the capital of Egypt, the historic jewel of the Arab world, and at one time of the entire ancient world too. So since you can't stay in the Pharaoh's palace anymore when you visit, the next best thing would probably be the Four Seasons in Cairo. Now, there are actually two Four Seasons hotels in Cairo. Well, technically, one is in Cairo and one is in Giza. But most of central Giza that's close to the Nile River is usually called Cairo because it, like most of central Cairo, is in the center of greater Cairo. Anyway, the point is that there are two Four Seasons hotels in Cairo, greater Cairo, and they're both in the top tier of hotels in the city. I wrote an article for the Huffington Post's travel section in February of 2016, I believe called Finding Your Oasis While Exploring Egypt, in which I review and talk more about the two different Four Seasons properties in detail. And Starling suggests that visitors splurge on accommodations while they're visiting Egypt because you'll want to be able to retreat to a luxury oasis at the end of the day after traipsing through the sand at the pyramids and the grit all over Cairo all day. They can be pricey, but they're worth it. Trust me. Anyway, so let's talk quickly about the two different Four Seasons properties. I go into more of their distinctions and differences in my HuffPost travel article on this, if you have a chance to go check that out. But it really comes down to whether you want to be on the edge of the bustling center of Cairo, literally, 
or if you want to be slightly more removed from that hustle and bustle by staying across the river in a slightly, and I do mean slightly, less hectic Giza area. It's still all hectic in central greater Cairo. The one on the Cairo side of the river is called the Four Seasons Nile Plaza. And it's walking distance to Tahrir Square, to the Egyptian Museum, and most of the other major hotels downtown. A friend of mine lives there in that hotel, and he really likes it. And he always picks the nicest hotels in Cairo for his residents while he's working there. And so the fact that he picked this one as the nicest, too, just confirms for me that it really is. It's also the newest and the largest hotel in downtown Cairo, since it was freshly built from the ground up around 13 years ago, give or take unlike many of the other hotels that are renovated properties. The Nile Plaza Four Seasons is new construction, and it's undoubtedly the poshest hotel in Egypt, period, in my opinion. It's also got a nice small high-end mall attached to it in the back and a few beautiful fancy restaurants. Now, nearly as posh is the Four Seasons first residence across the river, the other Four Seasons, which is actually Cairo's first original Four Seasons, It's still a beautiful modern property, but it's a bit smaller than the Nile Plaza property. This one has equally grandiose decor, and in fact, it looks and feels to me kind of like a French royal chateau on the inside, but everything's on a smaller scale than its sister property, the Nile Plaza property. The first residence has an indoor shopping mall attached to it also, which is a little bigger than the one at the Nile Plaza actually. Um, This Four Seasons used to have an incredible jazz brunch with a beautiful view of the Nile every Friday that my friends and I used to really enjoy going to once in a while. I think they're still having it. I'm not sure. Um, For the fellow gamblers out there like me, Blackjack is my game. There's also one of Egypt's very few casinos there in the First Residence Four Seasons. It's a small and smoky and not too exciting casino, but it'll satisfy a table games fix if you really need one while you're there or, you know, whatever your your gambling pleasure may be. Just be aware that Egyptian friends are not allowed in there with you and you'll need a passport to prove your foreign nationality to go in. And don't take local currency in, only American dollars, maybe euros too, I'm not sure, but American dollars are really what you need to go in and play with because you can't exchange nor can you use local Egyptian currency in the casinos, at least the ones I've been in. Staying in the top tier uh, category of hotels in Cairo, but jumping down a notch in grandiosity at least, we also have the Kempinski Nile Hotel. Now, I haven't just stayed in this property. I've stayed in it a lot. I used to It used to be my preferred hotel for both myself and my travel company's clients visiting Egypt after I switched us away from the Intercontinental. The Kempinski is a phenomenal hotel that's on par with the Four Seasons in room quality and service. The major difference, though, is the scale of the overall property and, as a result, the amenities and offerings. There's no mall attached, for example, a tiny little shop or two, but there are two small, standard, but very nice restaurants on the hotel's second floor. The first time I ever checked into the Nile Kempinski, I knew I was in love with this property because the front desk girl goes, your room is almost ready, sir. Would you like to have a seat in our chocolate lounge while you wait? And I was like, what? Why, yes, I would indeed. Okay, so the chocolate lounge is a quaint little dessert bar off the lobby, actually. The Nile Plaza 
Four Seasons has a decent dessert bar too in its mall, but the one in the Kempinski just seems so much more quaint and posh because it's not in a big open court or open area like the dessert bar in the Four Seasons next door or down the street. And this is really the charm of the Kempinski. It's quaint and small, although ultra luxurious, but it's truly boutique. Kempinski's are awesome hotels, and I love staying in them all over the world. Although I don't think they have any in North America, I don't think. So listeners may not be as familiar with them, but in the Middle East and Africa, they're one of my favorite chains. I think they're a German or Swiss chain or something like that, maybe. Maybe German. The um, the now Kempinski in Cairo, though, is really awesome. They also claim you have 24-hour butler service, but it's more like um, a, a floor attendant, not quite a butler, since he isn't literally stationed outside your door or anything, or dedicated just to your room. But the service still is pretty amazing, and the non-alcoholic beverages in the room's mini bar, all free, all complimentary. Where else do you see that? The Kempinski's rooftop pool actually is really nice, too, with great views of the Nile. The one at the Four Seasons next door, the pool... I think it's like on the third or fourth floor, maybe. So not a rooftop pool, but it's huge. Um, the Kempinski's is much smaller, but the, it's on the rooftop, which makes it really awesome. Both of these properties also have great spas. I've tried them both. The Four Seasons one is naturally a bit bigger and provides more of a full multi-hour you know, spa experience, complete with like hot and cold pools, meditation rooms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The Kempinski spa is more straightforward catering to the specific services being offered like massage or facial or whatever, as opposed to, you know, hanging out in there all day and and making a day of it. But I've used them both. I really like them both. They're both very, very nice. Okay. There's also a brand new Kempinski property further out in the burbs. Um, This one's called the Royal Maxim Palace Kempinski, and it's really big and nice and beautiful, but it's out by the airport and is, is more suitable geographically for business travelers or layover stays or folks who have super early flights and don't want to battle morning traffic and such. So on that note of hotels out by the airport that you'll want to avoid as a place to plant yourself for tourism, okay, we've got the Sheraton Al-Matar. You know, this was the very first hotel I actually ever stayed in in Egypt because I didn't know any better and thought, oh, it's a Sheraton and it says it's in Cairo and so it must be okay. There are actually several other Sheratons in the Cairo area, but this one, the Sheraton Al-Matar, is right by the airport, and so it's not ideal for basing yourself when you're visiting for tourism, unless you want to be right by the airport for some reason. Like I said, like if you're a business traveler and have a meeting out in that area, or if you're flying out early and want to be right by the airport one night. Okay, so that's the Sheraton Al-Matar. There's also a Lay Meridian right by the airport. There's another Lay Meridian out by the pyramids, and we'll talk about that one in a second. That one's okay as a base under certain conditions, the one by the pyramids, that is. There's also um, the Radisson Blue Heliopolis that's near the airport. Again, not ideal as a tourist base. Let's see, there's a Sinesta out there too. Um, No. Okay, there are also several international chains around the City Stars Mall, which is closer to the airport than downtown Cairo. So unless you're there for business travel again, or for some reason you don't want to be near any of the tourist areas, these aren't ideal either, although most of the international chains there are very nice. The Intercontinental City Stars is a nice big hotel out there, but there's another Intercontinental called the Semiramis Intercontinental that's much, much more central. I'll get back to that one in a second, but still, out here at City Stars, 
I'm looking at a map right now. So I'm seeing several things to flag for you. There's a good number of Western brand hotels out here, but they're not ideal, like the Holiday Inn and Staybridge Suites and all. These are okay, but you'll spend more in taxi fare getting to and from where you want to go than you would have spent by staying at a more central hotel downtown, even if it was a little bit more expensive. So I just wanted to flag these things for you as I look at a map here of the hotels in Greater Cairo. So let's move back downtown to where you should be. Okay, back in the central downtown area, I covered the top tier hotels, the nicest, the poshest ones, which I'd say are the two Four Seasons properties and the now Kempinski Hotel. Okay, so down one level, which means they're not as opulent as those three, but still perfectly nice and wonderful, would be hotels like the Semirami Center Continental that I just mentioned, the Cairo Marriott on Gazira Island, the Fairmont, the Gazira Sofitel, and the Nile Ritz-Carlton. Now, those last two, the Sofitel and the Ritz, some may put these up in the top tier, I don't because personally, I think the Four Seasons and Kempinski are a distinguishable notch above those. But I'll also fully admit I've had much more experience with those than with the Sofitel or the Ritz. The Ritz is a newly renovated property and is in the building that used to be the old Nile Hilton, which back in its day, like in the 80s, used to be the nicest hotel in Cairo. Not anymore by a long shot, but it was still open as the Nile Hilton when I first moved there in 2003. But it was getting quite dated and it was slipping away even then. But it was still an upper-class social hotspot then, which is why I frequented it on weekends as an expat sometimes with friends or or with other expats there. Anyway, the old old Nile Hill... I can't talk. The old Nile Hilton building has been recently renovated and is now, like I said, the Nile Ritz-Carlton. But a lot of people feel that it wasn't renovated up to what we'd expect for a Ritz um, in terms of standards and falls a little bit short. But I'm open to giving it a few more tries and seeing if my mind can be changed. I haven't actually stayed there yet and tried out all the amenities because it's so new. And I'll be sure to update Egypt Travel Blog when I do. And we'll see if I keep it in the top in in tier two or bump it up or down a tier. We'll see. The Sofitel follows the same pattern for me. It's in the building that used to be the Gazira Sheraton, and that had become quite dated when I first arrived there. The only reason I ever went there, actually, was because it had a casino in it. But it's a Sofitel now and renovated, and I know some folks who've worked there, and they insist it's a Tier 1 property, although the jury is still out for me on that. But it's a nice one regardless, so I'd at least put it in in a solid Tier 2. The Cairo Marriott is on Gazira Island, which is an island in the middle of the Nile in central Cairo, where a lot of bars and restaurants and embassies are. I actually lived on Gazira Island for about two weeks when I first moved to Egypt, and it's quite nice and secluded and a little more green and residential compared to the rest of central Cairo. The Marriott, though, is a little older, but for good reason. It's an old royal palace that was converted into a hotel and taken over and now managed by Marriott. The main part of the hotel that's in the old palace is gorgeous. It's definitely worth a stop by, even if you're not staying there. Sometimes I take guests and friends there for dinner or for a few drinks or something, just so they can experience its authentic atmosphere. There's also a newer, and I'm doing air quotes here on newer, a newer part of the hotel that was built sometime in the 20th century, maybe 60s or 70s or something. It's a bit dated now, but still decent for Egypt. Now, let me spend a hot minute talking about the Semiramis Intercontinental. I've lived in this hotel before, and I've had friends who've lived here also. It used to be the nicest hotel in the city, but that was before some of the newer ones were built. 
but it's still one of my top recommendations for visitors for several reasons. Okay, first, it's literally one of the most central hotels in all of Cairo. It overlooks Tahrir Square on the back side and the Nile on the front side. In fact, during one of the revolutions when I was there, I was able to watch the crowds assembling in Tahrir Square from my balcony on this hotel. And back in the room on the television screen, there was Christian Amanpour on CNN broadcasting live from a balcony several floors up from me, also overlooking the same scene. A lot of journalists stay here because it's close to everything, and a lot of diplomats stay here too because it's beside both the British and American embassies. The rooms are nice, but not as nice as the Four Seasons or Kempinski's rooms, obviously, but they're okay. But other than the location, the best thing about the Semiramis is some of its amenities. It's a huge property, so it's got quite a few restaurants that are very, very good. My absolute favorite restaurant in Cairo for a long time was the Thai restaurant in the Semiramis called Birdcage. It's still one of my favorites. There's also this amazing Lebanese restaurant in there called Sabaya and a great French French restaurant in there with amazing art on the walls. They have a nice Italian restaurant too with great views over the Nile, especially when they have its huge floor-to-ceiling windows open and the light breeze is blowing in. Okay, I have a funny story about this restaurant. Back in 2012, when they were still having some troubles in Egypt and protesters were battling the government in Tahrir Square and the scuffles were spilling over into the neighboring streets, some uh, some rogue protesters actually attacked an, um, an armored military personnel carrier just outside in front of the Semiramis, and they actually set it on fire. This is back in 2012 during the revolution. This doesn't go on now, so don't worry. But the, the soldiers that were in this personnel carrier all jumped out and you know because it was on fire at that point, and they started firing tear gas at those who were attacking their car, their vehicle. Well... This was all taking place on the street directly out in front of the hotel, and I was dining in this Italian restaurant here with those big, nice, open, breezy windows that night. Then all of a sudden, when they fired the tear gas, that light now breeze started blowing into those big open windows, and we were all trying to watch the commotion down below from there, and all of a sudden, we start getting a side of tear gas with our fettuccine. It was crazy. The, you know, the hotel closed the restaurant and sent all of us diners to the bar next door where we could still watch what was going on through some closed windows and not choke on tear gas. Yeah, that was wild, but those were wild times um, back in 2012, 2011. Nothing like that now. We'll cover safety issues in a later episode very thoroughly, but suffice it to say now that nothing like this happens anymore. That was just an historic time in Egypt's history, and they've moved on. Anyway, Staying in the same area for one more hot minute, but dropping down one more tier in terms of quality categorizations. We also have hotels like the Ramses Hilton and the Novotel in this same area. I put the Ramses Hilton down below the others because it's older and not as modern as the other major international chains in the area, but it's still a big one. If you're on a budget and still want to stay central, the Novotel property just across the bridge on Gazira Island is a cute little mid-tier hotel. It's kind of basic, but it's it's modern. I stayed there once when I was younger, right when it first opened, and I visited people there quite a few other times. I've also patronized the restaurant and bar there, which a guy I used to know actually used to run. Not sure if he still does, but he was a really cool guy. So the restaurant and bar are a nice, young, hip night spot, and the hotel itself is basic, but nice and modern. It's a good budget travel option without being in a sketchy place at all. Actually, the the location is pretty fantastic, and it's really affordable and nice and modern. Now, downtown Cairo 
is the main place to stay when you're visiting Egypt for tourism. There are hotels in all parts of the city, but you don't want to be stuck in a roach motel out in the suburbs with nothing around you and have a hard time finding taxis to take you to the places you need to go that are far away. But other than downtown, there are a few decent hotels out by the pyramids that many tour groups actually send tourists to or book tourists into. And these are okay choices too. I personally prefer the ones downtown because you can also leave them on foot and walk to most of the non-pyramids attractions like the Egyptian Museum and Tahrir Square and you know lots of restaurants and bars and, and, and things like that. But I can't argue with a view of the pyramids that some hotels out here give you. None of them are luxurious, I'd say, but they're about the same as the second or third tier properties downtown, which are still okay to stay in. First and foremost is the most famous one out by the pyramids, and that's the Mina House Hotel. This property started out as a royal hunting lodge, actually. Then it once um, it transferred into private hands, it was eventually expanded and converted into a, a hotel like it is today. It also has to be one of the oldest hotels in Egypt that's still operating, I think, since it dates to maybe the mid-1800s. And well, while it shows its age, the service is still superior and the views are to die for. You can literally look out from the roof or the patio at the Mina House and see the pyramids staring right at you there. A lot of commoditized tour groups use this property because of the view there, but you really can't walk out of the hotel and stroll over to anything else. At least downtown, you have so much more at your doorstep to see and explore. And the properties are a lot nicer, more luxurious and, and superior service. But you know, out here, the couple of nice hotels up by the pyramid, you're kind of isolated. So that's that's why I don't necessarily prefer them, but they're okay. There's also the Le Meridian and a Mercury property out here, which are okay. Maybe also second or third tier. But there are literally, literally hundreds of other small hotels, both out here and downtown and, well, all over Cairo and all over Egypt, that may seem okay online but are so not in person, believe me. I've stayed in a lot of them, too, back when I was young and broke. And if you are young and broke, there are some nice options that are trendy and cheap, like the Novotel I talked about earlier downtown. But there are lots of hotels that are just jank, broke down, roach motels. And you'd never know it unless you actually got there. And surprise, you're like, where the hell am I? I've literally stayed in places that I booked online on reputable travel sites and had to stack chairs up over the windows to make extra sure we weren't robbed after we went to sleep. That may have been a little bit of an over overreaction in retrospect, but the point is that it felt so sketchy that at the time, my travel companion and I felt like this was necessary when we went to bed. That was, um, that was one of those hotels out in Giza near the pyramids that I booked with points through an airline site, actually. It's also not uncommon for some jank local places to use stock photos online instead of real photos of their property. And you show up and you are certain you have the wrong hotel because it doesn't look anything like what you booked, except nope, that is exactly what you booked. But this is mostly a concern in Cairo. Okay, If you travel to other places in Egypt, the hotel standards aren't quite as high as the top-tier properties in Cairo, but it can actually be a nice experience to try a quaint property in some of the smaller cities in Egypt when you're traveling around. In some, in some places, you may not have a choice, 
But even in places like Luxor or Aswan or in some of the beach towns, you may not have actually a major international brand as an option. And I've certainly had some great experiences at some more B&B type hotels out in the hinterlands. So let's move on to the next major tourist area in Egypt, which is Luxor. Now, you're not going to find posh tier one luxury hotels in Luxor or in most other parts of Egypt. But Luxor does have some very nice hotels and resorts that you'll enjoy staying in, whether just for a night or two or for longer stays. It's not the nicest hotel in Luxor, but one of my favorites there is the Sofitel Winter Palace Hotel right in the center of town. Despite its name, it was never an actual palace, but was built as a hotel in the late 1800s. But given that it was built in the colonial area for colonial elites, it has a royal look and feel to it. And it, it really takes you back to the colonial area, colonial era when you're in it. It's not for those looking for modern resort luxuries, but it's quaint and I like it for its historic ambiance. A little outside of the central downtown Luxor area, abutting the Nile itself, are a number of decent resorts that have international management and branding. The Hilton, the Jolie, the Mercury, the Steinberger, and the Sinesta are all pretty nice. You know, I was just curious about what sites like TripAdvisor, for example, would say about Luxor's hotel scene. And I came across the perfect example of what I've been talking about of why it's hard to trust even allegedly trustworthy review sites like that. Their top 10 list for Luxor includes several properties when I looked them up that I would actually put in a tier five or six maybe, but they put it in a tier one or two. So, oh, and here's a good hint for judging hotels in Egypt, by the way. If it's named after a pharaoh or a monument, it's probably janktastic. In other words, it's probably a lower quality. In Cairo or Luxor, if it's named after King Tut or Nefertari or Cleopatra, let that be a red flag for you. Or if it's named after the Pyramids or Karnak or the Sphinx, again, red flag. I saw three of these on TripAdvisor's alleged top 10 list for Luxor, which makes me question TripAdvisor as a resource. The same goes for Aswan a little bit further down the Nile. The Sofitel and the Movenpick are going to be nice for Aswan. For most of the others, you're going to start having to adjust your scale of nice to be nice for City X or decent for City Y. Okay, now Alexandria, back up in the north on Egypt's Mediterranean coast. Along the coast is where you really want to be in Alexandria because that's where most of the sites and restaurants and life really are in the city. It's a coastal city, so that makes perfect sense. If you've got the money to spend or spare, you'll be pleased to hear that there is a new Four Seasons property recently built in Alexandria. I'll be honest and confess I haven't actually stayed in it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Years and years ago when I lived in Egypt, um, I used to make weekend trips to Alexandria and stay overnight in hotels there. This is the first time I lived there. But the last eight or ten times I've been to Alexandria, I've just done it as a day trip from Cairo and headed back the same evening. So that's possible. But if you're going to stay in Alexandria and the Four Seasons is out of your price range, or hopefully you splurged and ran up your hotel budget on the Four Seasons back in Cairo, then you'll be pleased to hear that several other of the major hotels in Alexandria are perfectly nice and priced much cheaper than their sister properties back in Cairo. The Sheraton Montaza near Montaza Palace and the Hilton Corniche are both usually under a hundred bucks a night. Again, in Alexandria too, avoid anything named after a pharaoh or similar, like you know the Cleopatra Hotel or the Alexander the Great Hotel. Cleopatra actually did reign over Egypt from here in Alexandria, 
But I don't think she'd stay in her own namesake hotel today if she came back. In fact, she'd probably raise it to the ground and build a monument and go stay in the Four Seasons. Okay, Sharm el the resort city on the far southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, is the last major city in Egypt in which you'll find multiple nice Western-style hotels and resorts. And since tourism is pretty depressed in Egypt right now, you'll also find some really good deals at these resorts, too. All the major international Western brands have properties here in Sharm el-Sheikh, including Four Seasons, yay, Hilton, Sheraton, Marriott, Renaissance, Radisson Blue, and so on. Um, Sharm tends to be a lot more of an enclosed resort-style destination, so don't expect to be able to just walk out of your hotel's front door and stroll through town like you can in Cairo or in you know parts of Luxor or Alexandria. But Sharm is known for nightlife and sea sports, and it's a fun place to stay for a few days, actually. Also popular in that area are some seaside towns further up the eastern Sinai coast, like Dahab and Nueva. This is one place where if you go, I'd recommend finding a small local hotel and going with the local vibe and flow rather than looking for your Western comforts. Same for out in the oases too, actually. Most tourists don't make it to these places unless you're spending time traveling throughout Egypt for more than a week or two, or unless you're living and working there for a while. But if you find yourself heading to either one of these small beach towns or to an oasis, my advice on these is to go local on accommodations. The part of Egypt's Red Sea coast that's not on the Sinai Peninsula has some great resorts too, but I'll just mention a few of my favorite. The Sheraton Miramar property in El Guna has always been my go-to Red Sea resort. I've taken hundreds of guests there and used to stay there a lot, too, on my own with friends. I love the little town of El Guna and actually prefer it to the more touristy and crowded areas further down the Egypt proper Red Sea coast in Hergada, for example. Lots, and I do mean lots, of European tourists, like really touristy tourists, flood Hergada. And I've just never been a fan of it personally, but maybe I've missed something about it. I don't know. I won't tell you not to go there, but I'm just telling you my preference part of the Red Sea, that part of Egypt, is El Guna over Hergada. I'm open to trying it out again, um, and I'll certainly write a blog post on it or review of it when I go back. But I've just never liked any of the resorts at Hergada unless unless they built something new or recently that I've missed um, or I'm unaware of. But if I find something I like there, I'll certainly let folks know and write a post on Egypt Travel Blog about it. Much further down the coast, though, Marsa Alam is an out-of-the-way area that some people go to, and that has a number of nice resorts, actually. It's kind of far, though, and I think it's more of a destination for people who live in Egypt or have been there many times, been to Egypt many times, and want to try somewhere new. I'm not aware of many first-time or even second- or third-time tourists to Egypt planting themselves down in Marsa Alam, but it's very pleasant down there, and you're away from the hustle and bustle of the world, and you're just able to chill on a beach, and it's really, it's, it's really nice down there. So that just about wraps it up. I think I've covered all of the major places in Egypt that tourists go and some that most tourists don't go, but we do go as expats sometimes. This has been a lot to digest, I know, but I'd rather give you more info and flood your brain than have less info and end up making or you end up making a mistake that could significantly impact the quality of your trip and the awesomeness of your experience visiting Egypt. So thanks for bearing with me. In the next few episodes, I'll start to talk about some of Egypt's major sites and monuments and attractions and experiences, starting with 
the next episode and the most obvious site, which is going to be the Pyramids Complex, the Pyramids and the Sphinx at Giza, or the Pyramids of Giza, the Giza Plateau, whatever you want to call it, the Pyramids. So please consider returning the favor of all this free advice and insight by going to iTunes, searching for Egypt Travel Blog Podcast, leaving a five-star rating and a nice comment. That's very helpful to helping other people actually discover all the free and valuable information I'm putting out here for your and everyone's benefit. And we want to make sure that everyone has an awesome, incredible, amazing trip of a lifetime to Egypt when they finally do go. So we want everybody to discover the podcast and get everything that we're offering here. All right. We will see you in the next episode when we're going to talk all about the pyramids, the Sphinx, the Giza Plateau, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe even some mummies. We'll see. A few surprises. See you then.